Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, and welcome back to Godsplaining. I am Father Gregory Pine, joined here by Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. Father Jacob Bertrand, how are things? Things are good. Yeah, life is life, carrying on, you know, surviving, all the rest, living in the swamp, not part of the swamp. Um, I don't really have more to say. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this pleases me. Um, yeah. Let's see, we are, uh, we are here between semesters, um, American semesters, Swiss semesters. Um, I, I guess semesters matter for you insofar as vocation events are typically done on a semester schedule. Mm. Semesters matter for me because people think that I take classes. Mm. And so they ask me questions as if I did take classes. Uh, for those who I deem to be too disappointed at the recognition that I don't take classes, I just never kind of correct their assumption. But for those who can handle the revelation, I, I, I do reveal to them the fact that I have zero classes in graduate school. And when they think that I'm cheating or that I'm obtaining a degree of a lesser dignity, um, at that point, I, I do give up. So um, semesters are a thing that apply to neither of us very much anymore at this time in our lives. But I just thought that I would highlight the fact that we are in between semesters, which don't matter for us. <laughs> Uh, also because whenever I have the opportunity to say weird things, which will incur the scorn and critique of Father Jacob Bertrand, I take those opportunities because if I'm not going to do it and Father Bonaventure's not here, who will? Uh, so in this episode, we're going to talk about fair, whether men... Most anybody, most anybody else will summon the same reaction, so... <laughs> okay. You're not that Maybe special. Maybe I ask for it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's okay. Great point. Um... All right, so uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, whether men and women can be friends, uh, you know, preview of coming attractions, uh, how men and women can be friends. And, you know, at, on, I, I suppose at the outset, it sounds like a little bit of a strange question because it's like a fait accompli. There are men and women, and they are friends. So why are you asking about the possibility of a thing that is? It's like whether squares can exist. It's like, uh, I mean, I, I just saw a square. There's a square over there. There's a square over here. Um, okay, so, but, but I think the way in which we're going to approach it is, is more so to like, lay out some principles and then just talk about some practical matters. So um, let's start it off with a little introduction to love and friendship. So Father Jacob Bertrand, if somebody came up to you, let's say a Martian came up to you and they're like, on my planet, we kill each other. And that is the way in which we express affection. You'd be like, wow, horrifying. Also, how do I come? Um, just kidding. Uh, but then you'd be like, <laughs> more like, more like who can I send? But, <laughs> uh, if you were kidding. to introduce somebody to, to love and to friendship, where would you start? Um, probably not with a Martian. Uh, it's tough because <laughs> being from, being from New England and there's a lot of great people in New England, a lot of warm and loving people in New England, but being from New England, we often get the, the, the sort of, um, we're stereotyped as being kind of cold and mm. and more maybe sarcastic and blah blah blah. Mm. I think I do a good job representing that caricature. Uh, but you know, so that's a little <laughs> tough for me to sort of say like what is what would be kind of what would constitute these kind of things. But I'll give it a shot nonetheless. Um, 
So uh, as I think perhaps this is a Dominican trope, but also um, a true thing because Dominicans only and always say true things, uh, no matter what they're saying. That's right. Uh, that, that like all things, um, we are, what we do and what we are, um, what we're pursuing, what we're aimed at is, is the good. So it's a question of what is, um, what is something in this case, friendship, what is it for? What is it, um, what does it bring about in our lives? And I want to be careful here because I don't want it to be, I don't, want us to start thinking about friendship and relationships as things to be instrumentalized in the sense that they only exist for the sake of getting us something or for the sake of achieving something. But in a, in, in a real way, um, we have to understand what the thing is aimed at in order to understand how it's done well and what might be some pitfalls that we should try to avoid. So at least with friendship, um, I'll talk about the good for a second, that in the end, ultimately, uh, and and we'll probably talk about this, maybe we won't, but the sort of different types of friendships, but ultimately the, the sort of truest form of friendship um, is aimed at at the good, at achieving the good, namely achieving um, holiness uh, with, with the other person, with somebody else, doing that in a sort of sense of doing that together, that one that in friendship, the one friend helps, enables, encourages another, inspires another to pursue the good, and does so um, in 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 sort of tandem. We could say, uh, in the same way that 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 love, the definition of love is willing another's good. So too, this is kind of the the basis of of friendship, of willing another's good as your as your own, willing another's virtue, another's happiness, another's holiness, another's holiness as your own. So, I think. That's a good place at least to start. I don't know if you have more on that or um, to flesh out, but at least by way of beginning to start thinking about it in, in, in those terms. Yeah, I think um, there's a, I don't know how modern this is as a notion, but there is a theory abroad that one is either altruistic or egotistic. And so I think a lot of us have a kind of background notion that if I'm doing something that's in any way self-serving, then it's not sufficiently generous or self-sacrificial or whatever it might be. So the problem with this type of theory when it's applied to relationships is like when you approach another person, it's because you're denying yourself, right? It's like you go to a party and you're like, which pitiable soul hiding in a quarter can I bestow my presence upon so as to, you know, like assuage their potentially discomforting experience of this social interaction. It's like, who the heck are you? And that's so weird, okay? Because that person doesn't want to be like called out of the corner because you pity them, because you find them to be a charity case. They want to, they want to be discovered by somebody who finds them genuinely lovable. So there's a strange thing in friendship that while there are obviously grounds for sacrifice, there are grounds for considering the good of the other before the good of oneself, Part of the good that you will to the other is yourself, and part of the good that is willed to you by the other is, you know, his or herself, as it were. So um, it's helpful in these conversations to talk about it as like a, it's a kind of twofold love or a twofold movement of the heart. You know, like you go out towards the good, but you also go out towards, towards the other, towards, towards union of a certain sort, and it's like a union in the good. So I, I like to characterize friendship as it's like a common life with a common conversation. You're together, on the way, towards a good, which you share, which you, which you love, which you prize, which you esteem, blah, blah, blah. You get it? Boom. Um, so, okay. 
Then, thinking about it in terms of the episode putatively is about whether or not men and women can be friends. This sounds like a very approachable, a very doable thing. Um, So maybe we could talk a little bit about why it seems eminently possible that men and women can be friends. Um, What are some some like basic principles, some kind of groundwork of why genuine human communion can exist between all members of the human species? Thoughts? Yeah. Um, I mean, just kind of what you were saying or the words that you were using, the, the, the sheer fact of our humanity, that we share common humanity would seem um, to be a basis for uh, friendship between men and women, that there are goods that are, uh, that are, what uh, the same for both of us, both men and women, that there are um, ways by which we can connect. And you were saying a common life, common conversation that we can share in one another, in one another's life. Uh, we can share in the things that are important to each other. Um, we can talk about those things. We can have a sort of intimacy and in, 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 in this sharing of one another's, you know, the, an intimacy here. I mean, like the difference between how you share with an acquaintance or like someone who's a close friend. I think that there are there's there's at least a beginning ground there um that might be a place where um there might be some difficulty in sharing and some you know between men and women we might talk about that in a little bit but the sort of um common human nature that we're made in in the image of god uh, that we're made for god there are all these sort of common base kind of baseline realities that are pretty obvious as to why um, it might be possible that men and women can be friends. I mean, even just basic things that even more or other basic things that connect or at least are the foundation for friendship and of just sharing common interests or working in the same place or, you know, going to school together. Like these, these realities um, exist that would make friendship seem to be a sort of easy, comfortable thing between men and women. Yeah. No, I think that like, you know, the principles that you lay out common humanity and things like that. I think also, um, yeah, I mean, there's like a stage in human life where you just don't distinguish between men and women. Like when you're in like first, second, and third grade, it's just like you're just friends with everybody and everyone's your friend. I I observe this in my nieces and nephews. It's like, hey, who's your best friend? And they might say a name like Jordan. I'll be like, is Jordan a girl or a boy? They're like, boy. It's like, all right, cool. Um, But then I might ask the next one, like, who's your best friend? It's like, Blake. Is Blake a girl or a boy? Girl. It's like, okay, cool. Um, so, I mean, my experience with my nieces and nephews is they're just like friends with whoever is in their immediate proximity, uh, because all of them seem to like everything, which is kind of cool. But, you know, as you grow up, then there's like the, the subsequent stage of girls have whatever it was like germs and like boys stink for whatever reason. I don't remember, but then there's like a kind of distancing and then there's a subsequent movement of like rediscovery. And I think that, um, but you know, men and women have peculiar excellences or they draw out peculiar aspects of human life, which are, which are cool, which are wonderful. Uh, you know, we're coming at this from one vantage. Um, and I think that sometimes when you discover somebody who has an eye for things that you've kind of glossed over in reality, it's like, whoa, that's kind of, it's kind of wild. That's kind of exciting. Because I think that, um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes we get into a kind of human rut where we observe in just the same way, we describe in just the same way, we comport ourselves in just the same way. And sometimes it'll take a complementary perspective. That might be from a member of the same sex, but it might not. And, and sometimes it feels as if it's more likely to come from a member of not the same sex. Um, so, yeah, I think, that, I think that that's also an experience which would give us grounds for thinking, okay, this seems very humanizing, this seems very life-enriching, and I draw from these relationships in a way that's distinct or in a way that's different. 
which um, yeah, which encourages me as to the prospect that this is that this is good. All right. So with that groundwork having been laid, certainly there are difficulties or there are reasons for thinking that friendship between men between men and women isn't as simple or might not be as uncomplicated as we at first imagined. So maybe start us off on that conversation. What are what are some things? Yeah, I think I mean call a spade a spade that the reality that men and women are made um, are made for that that not all male female relationships are are made to be platonic is a real thing to consider that there is sexual tension especially as like as you were saying father Gregory, that like when when kids are little there's just like boys girls friends everybody's great and then there's this sort of distancing as like you get into early like puberty years middle school where it's like boys are boys think girls are gross girls think girls are gross maybe it's younger than that and then as as you kind of mature and stuff you kind of get beyond that and can have friends but as you mature and get beyond that there's the reality of you know that like male female relationships have a sexual quality to them that there's or at least a sexual tension kind of inherent in them and that that creates a sort of tension that isn't there in in friendships between men and friendships between women so that that's just something that has to be considered that as you as as friendship is supposed to be, as, as friendship is supposed to progress in intimacy of conversation and sharing of life and that sort of thing, when there's this sort of natural progression of a male-female relationship to also physical intimacy in the proper context, of course, it's like, where is that line drawn? And if there's a line drawn of, okay, well, we can't talk about X or we can't have these experiences, whatever um, does that, the, then it just begs the question of, does that, does that put a sort of ceiling or kind of limit on the, the sort of... Um, sharing of of one's life uh in the context of even friendship when there are these natural tensions that are that are inherent um in in relationships between men and women so i think that's that's just call that out from the beginning that that's even um in the most uh platonic of relationships between men and women that has to be considered um even if it doesn't exist just but in general um that has to be considered so i would start there as a sort of why might this be difficult well um, sexual complementarity might uh, might insert a difficulty. Yeah, I think that's it's super helpful to talk about that too in terms that aren't what will one say like morally complex because mm. I think a lot of times when people try to acknowledge that they're like they they feel a kind of burden of guilt or of shame in acknowledging it, but it's like no, it's it's not that it's a it's an amoral thing or a non moral thing. But it's just a very basic, I mean, I think that every aspect of one's human life is, is moral in some way, shape, or form. But it's just, it's, it's a biological thing. It's, a, it's an arch datum of our human nature. And if you think about it, it's, it's given us by God. Okay, so man and woman were created for this end or to this end. It, does that mean that that exhausts the reason for which they were differentiated sexually? No, but it's, it's the justification, it's the basis, it's the foundation of that sexual, or that sexual differentiation or um, that, that difference, just more, more simply so-called. And so I, I often talk about marriage as the primordial vocation of men and women. So when people talk about discerning marriage, I'm like, what does that even mean? What does it mean to discern marriage? And that's not because I, I want to speak derogatorily about the sacrament of marriage in any way, shape, or form, but it's because like everyone is called to marriage, with some exceptions, but like everyone is called to marriage. So it's not a matter of like discerning marriage in the abstract. It's a matter of finding somebody whom you love, with whom you have a common life and a common conversation, but with whom you want to raise children, you know, with whom you want to bring saints into the world. And so, yeah, I just don't think that we should speak about it abstractly in a way that 
I don't know, obscures from us the recognition that, yeah, we have very basic instinctual, you know, like um, tendencies, inclinations, desires built into us from the dawn of creation for the purpose of propagating the human species. You know, we have an inclination to eat, to drink, to sexual intercourse, and that has to be contended with because if you enter into a relationship thinking that food isn't necessary, it's going to go crazy, or thinking that drink isn't necessary, it's going to go crazy, or thinking that sexual intercourse isn't necessary for the propagation of the human species, it's going to go crazy. So I think that that's, it's helpful to acknowledge that without adding to it a kind of moral hue or like a moral judgment. It's just, it's just what is, okay? So then the, I suppose the next question that arises will be, how do you account for that, or can it be accounted for? But in order to answer that question, we're going to have to wait to, uh, to hear from this break, and then we'll catch you on the other side of it. All right, so stick with us on God's Plan. You are listening to God's Planning. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. All right. Well, there we go. The break served its purpose, which was just to create further expectation of the second half of the episode. <laughs> Woo! Awesome. This is Godsplaining, my friends. All right. So we're talking about whether or not men and women can be friends. And we mapped out just at the outset a little kind of thumbnail sketch of what friendship is, and then a description of why it seems eminently sensible that men and women could be friends, given the fact of our common nature, our common destiny, and then maybe to acknowledge, well, not maybe to, but certainly to acknowledge uh, factors that might complicate, the basic of which is that sexual differentiation is for procreation, and as a result, that has to be accounted for. All right, so then I suppose the, the next question is, how do you account for that, or can it be accounted for Maybe just to kind of give you give you the floor, give you space to expound upon. What what do you think first, or what are some what are some ways in which you think that we could begin answering this question? Yeah, um, I think, and this is just kind of hearkening back to what we've already said. Like, is it possible? Um, and and then to what you were saying with the difficulties just before the break of like that the the fact that there is. Um, a sexual reality between men and women doesn't lay uh, like a moral claim on it. It's something that is. Um, so because because it's a reality um, there that that is sort of in itself amoral, at least for the way we're talking about now. That um, though that that sort of relationship can be pursued in like a virtuous way. I think in 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 some contexts, right? So um, so I think it's it's in at least in my mind in talking about this, it's important to say for me that like, yes, I think men and women can be friends. And as you were setting up, but it's like, well, how, um, how can that happen? And how can like, to what extent? So, um, I, I guess by way of using an analog to answer the question, I think marriage is, is sort of a good, a good example, um, a good way by which to sort of judge like is this a good thing so like does would a married man do x or would a married woman do x in a in a friendship or a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex and and that sort of context helps set up for uh, a kind of way by which we can proceed to think about like okay well then if i'm a single man and i'm looking like to pursue virtuous relationships or virtuous friendships with women what i do what i do this so by way of example like would a married man spend a bunch of time um 
alone with uh, another woman who's not his wife? Well, probably not. And it's okay. Well, well, why? Uh, because, well, one, he's married. And two, for all the reasons that we've laid out, this poses difficulty. So would an unmarried man do the same thing? Well, maybe if he's dating her, but would, he, would this be like conducive to, to just pursuing a sort of platonic friendship? Well, probably not because um, of, again, the sexual tension, the attachment, the desire, those sort of things. So um, I think that's not a sort of practical do or don't, but a way like a, a practical, perhaps litmus test of like what is conducive to building, to building virtue. And I guess really what I'm saying is like, is asking the question in these relationships is, is this friendship or is this relationship conducive to growth and virtue? Um, mm. And is, is it helping as, as a man asking the question, is it helping me to be formed if I'm an unmarried man, by way of example, is it helpful in, in my formation, um, if I think I'm going to be married, to in being prepared in my preparation to be a good husband and a father? Um, or is it not? And if, or is, am I not sure? Well, if you're not sure, then perhaps think about it more. If, it, if it's a no or this is, you know, then perhaps back away, take a step back, reassess. But I think that's the question to be asked is, is this conducive to my growth and virtue, to my pursuit of Christ? Um, so again, not a practical do or don't, but at least a sort of practical, like um, sort of general theme of approaching. Yeah, it's when this question is posed, I like to, you know, I like to foreground virtue as well. Um, my kind of short answer to the question is, yes, I think it's possible. I think it's difficult. And I think that it demands much of both parties in terms of virtue. I think that they both need to be virtuous and need to be focused on growing in virtue. And by saying, you know, growing in virtue, not just chastity. I think chastity is important, obviously. Um, you know, we, we define chastity typically as the moderation of the desire for sexual intercourse, but it's also a moderation of the desire for intimacy, I think more broadly and more generally. And that desire informs uh, a lot of our relationships, or that's present in many of our relationships. And sometimes when we act inordinately out of a need for intimacy or perceived need for, for intimacy, that creates the types of attachments which can, um, yeah, for, for those who aren't necessarily looking for a relationship, can lead to a relationship, or for those who are in another relationship, can be upsetting for that relationship. Um, I, I began this with a, dis, with a kind of disclaimer that it's not just chastity, and then I just described chastity as if it were just chastity. But it's more broadly speaking, so it's true of, you know, of temperance, of fortitude, of justice, of prudence. It requires of us a virtuous approach to life so that we can see the relationship with clear eyes, you know, with discerning eyes, and then, you know, advance that relationship or grow that relationship in a way that conduces to the good of both parties. But not to do so in a kind of clinical way, uh, still with a kind of freedom and spontaneity, and albeit with a kind of space in the relationship for the recognition of human limitation. And so, um, you know, like in formation, in a couple of our pastoral formation courses, we were assigned books to read on boundaries. And boundaries is one of those words that strikes people often as stilted. You know, when you, whenever you speak of boundaries, it's a way of just quenching the spirit. It's a way of, um, you know, ending any meaningful exchange between those parties involved. Okay, you know, like that, that might be the way in which it registers at first. But I think that boundaries, while stilted, is one of those healthy recognitions of the limitation of the human condition, of our own fallibility of our own penchant, you know, for falling into sin and to temptation. Um, and I think that having something like boundaries is a good way by which to ensure uh, that the relationship that one pursues is, is healthy, right? That it doesn't become consuming in a way that's inordinate, that it actually, like we said, promotes the, uh, promotes the virtue of both parties. 
Um, so yeah, whether continuing on that theme or, or picking out another, what do you, what do you think, uh, besides as, as other opportunities for men and women in friendship to grow their friendship, to safeguard their friendship, to, uh, seek holiness in their friendship? Yeah, I think in what you're saying, the sort of safeguarding comes to mind again too, or another way, another aspect under which, by which, through which, something which to safeguard. <laughs> um, and I guess we have, perhaps there's a hard time understanding or like the understanding of friendship has changed. I don't know, with like the onset of like social media and these sort of things of like what actually constitutes friendship. And I think social media and the internet and sort of communicating in those ways has cheapened the the communication of friends and other things too. But the communicate the way by which friends ought to communicate it sort of makes like the idea that like a tweet or a post or like a, like a picture on Instagram is actually a way like an authentic form of communication. Which for the record, it's one hundred percent not. Uh, so <laughs> if you think it is in any way, you're wrong. Um, because friends are meant to communicate with a great level of intimacy of, of being able, you know, friends are supposed to be able to share what is important and, and perhaps secretive and private and protected, um, with another friend. Um, there's, there's this level of intimacy that, that is, um, as a friendship grows, of course, this level of intimacy ought to grow. And, and there's, but this is something that might have to be tested through time of just like, not tested in the sense of like you're going to put your friend through a secret test, but like as time goes, like does trust grow? Does do these sort of things grow? And um, I think um, I might be wrong, but I think that uh, th- that men can't share, or perhaps even shouldn't share every sort of thing about you know um, whatever it is uh, that's in your life that's particular to being a man with women, and the same with women. And we see this even in just sort of the the. Um, the, the, the sort of ease by which women might communicate with each other more, you know, a close friend than, and the way by which men are more comfortable in communicating with each other on this sort of level. Um, so if, if that's the case, if what I'm saying is true, that um, then, then I think that there's, uh, we shouldn't have, we should have, again, manage our expectations as to um, what, what is sort of the, that, again, that like upper limit of, of sharing of intimacy in a friendship with somebody of the other sex. Um, I, I don't think that there's the same sort of freedom to, to share all, all things in that way. And if there's not that same sort of freedom, then, then there's, there's a way by which we should recognize that, yeah, I can share and have a conversation and, and be connected and participate in this other person's life. But there, there's also a limit here. Um, and if we're talking about like, you know, the deepest of friendships, there isn't really there ought not be limitations on, on that sort of thing. Obviously, prudence and temperance has to come into play, but there ought not be these sort of like, well, I can't talk about this with her because she's a woman, or I can't talk about this with him because he's a man type thing. So, um, yeah, another another thought there, or another thing to consider in the practicals, perhaps, kind of category. Yeah. No, I think, too, of the way the fathers of the church would talk about what they call discretion or purity of heart. Uh, there's a sense that, it's for us to kind of retain the inmost secrets of our heart uh, f- for sharing with the Lord, um, for kind of having an interior space in which we commune with Him. Um, and maybe there's a sense in which your vocation prompts you to welcome others in some way into that space, whether it be one's spouse or um, you know those to whom one is called to serve in the context of the priesthood or the religious life or whatever, but that there has to be this 
this space of solitude so that we're not constantly going out to and sharing with the other, um, kind of lacking self-possession, and as a result of which getting lost in the other. And I think that discretion or purity of heart is often realized in recognizable social forms. So though it's gradually, you know, slipping away, this is the idea of like, you know, courtesy or a kind of gentility or kind of chivalry at work in a culture. There's a, there's a, a way in which to communicate respect and esteem, which doesn't say like, I love you and I want to spend all of my time with you. Um, but also you think about it in 21st century examples, you know, there's, there's ways to enjoy another person's company. There's ways to share meaningfully with another person that doesn't attribute to it that same intensity or that same expectation, you know? So the way in which I would counsel young couples, I mean, one by one, obviously in the context of the sacrament of confession, be like, okay, you know, it's, it's not like you have to make for yourself a rule book, but it might be good to have some rules, um, concerning like what time in what space you know, like weather, alcohol, and things of that nature, you know, just so that you can craft your prudence concerning what you're capable of, what you think you're capable of, what you know yourself to be capable of, and then, you know, reevaluating that with the passage of time. And I think that, that, that applies too in the case of these types of relationships, this seeking for a kind of discretion or purity of heart, um, and then trying to instantiate it in the physical conditions, you know, that, that um, you know, surround your friendship. So that way it's not just a theory. It's, it's a theory that comes with a practice. All right, we're coming to the end. So I don't know if you have any final thoughts, final encouragements. Yeah, I think, and it's perhaps something, it's not perhaps, it is something that I've already said uh, that we've talked about a little bit, but the, the metric of, of the pursuit of virtue, of goodness, is I think really the best thing to be asking. And, and to be able to answer things in, in positive terms, and I don't mean like optimistic, but in um, so like asking the question of like, is this relationship, is this friendship conducive or helpful to my growth in holiness and pursuit of virtue? Um, and to say, to give like concrete reasons as to why or why not, and recognizing that if there's the sort of why not, or how is it unhelpful, or how does this like, even like in an emotional kind of sense, leave me kind of, ah, I don't know what's going on here. Well, then like, take a minute to think about that, pray about that and recognize that like perhaps perhaps like those having some sense of boundaries or those sort of things might be might be helpful just to further like the the sort of reality of that friendship and the the holiness of that friendship um in the end i guess you know again we've said this that i think friendships between men and women are possible but i think we also have at the same time have to be um cognizant of the fact that men are men and women are women and there's a way by which we complement each other and sometimes that complementarity um, doesn't exist with such ease in the simple f- context of of platonic friendship. So um, to be just to be aware of that is, I think, a good thing. Yeah. Boom. Great. Well, uh, thanks for sticking with us, listeners. Uh, thanks for tuning in to this episode of God's Planning. We hope that you uh, will benefit from it and are able to share some of these thoughts, some of these uh, ponderings, if that's a word. Is that a word? Who cares? Uh, with with your friends as you uh, continue to craft your own theory of friendship and seek to perfect it in your practice as you journey towards the Lord with those whom you love. So uh, this being an episode in the month of January or February, I've forgotten which, uh, we're getting back into our regular swing of lives planning and guest planning, so check out those as they come up on Mondays and Tuesdays on every other week. And then um, if, if you haven't yet, please do check out postings for events to be held this summer, a few retreats uh, to which you are almost welcome. 
and uh, you can look for information there about sign up and location and dates and uh, other further excitement. And then a word of thanks to all of those who support us on Patreon. We're very grateful for that support, which makes possible the podcast and its growth and its continued uh, yeah, evangelical work. And if you haven't yet, uh, but are considering giving a donation to the podcast, we welcome it. We're very grateful and we thank you. Uh, so yes, that's it. Our prayers are for you. And we ask that you please continue to pray for us. And we'll catch you next time on God's Planning. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.